and gentlemen, Radio Land. Welcome to Colorado Inside Out, an hour look back on the year 1923. I'm your host, Dr. William Reynolds Jr., but everyone calls me Doc, and I'm the owner and founder of KLZ Radio, Denver's, Denver, Colorado's first radio station. We're broadcasting from our studios, my home, on University Boulevard. That lovely music you just heard was I'm Just Wild About Harry from the hit Broadway musical Shuffle Along. That was playing in our fair city last May, about a week before the mayoral election. That same week, you could have gone to the Ogden Theater and seen Sir Arthur Conan Doyle speak about ghosts. You could have gone to the Orpheum and seen his his former friend, Harry Houdini, performing Amazing Illusions. It's truly been quite a year. Allow me to take a moment for all of you to meet our panel. Panel, please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a bit about you. How about you go first? Thank you so much, Doc. Doc, if I may call you that. Absolutely. I am Miss Emily Griffith. I run the Opportunity School, and my class in radio repair is always listening to your show and your station. I moved here when I was 12, 15, or 29, depending on who you're listening to, but moved here in 1894. I grew up in Ohio, where my uncle worked on the Erie Canal and would teach people all who want to learn, and I took that as my slogan when I moved here in 1894. I was a teacher. I'd been a teacher in a Nebraska sod house, and I started the the Opportunity School in 1916 because adults need the opportunity to learn, too. In fact, one of my students made this lovely dress. I believe it's called a flapper dress, and this shawl, and they learn all kinds of things. We make soup every day. Please come and sample the things we do. A, a wonderful job your students did, uh, Miss Griffith. Sir, please introduce yourself to our, our audience. Well, I'm Edwin C. Johnson, but you can just call me Big Ed. I live in Craig, Colorado, where I uh, manage a farmer's cooperative mill, and I'm in my first year as a Democratic state representative representing the wonderful people of Moffat and Route counties. Uh, Representative Johnson, it's a pleasure to have you here. Miss, why don't you introduce yourself to our fine audience? Why, thank you, and thank you for having me, Doc Reynolds. I am Lucille Berkeley Buchanan. I'm an educator and presently teach in a high school in Kansas City, Missouri. My parents live here, but they were born as slaves in Virginia. We came here, they moved here in the 1980s, and I, 1880s, and I was born in 1884 in Barnum, a city right outside of Denver. I earned my teaching certificate from Colorado State College for Education in Greeley in 1905, and my Bachelor's of Arts in German from the University of Colorado in 1918. I am the first known colored woman to be awarded these degrees from those institutions. Thank you for having me. It is wonderful to have you here. And sir, completing our panel, please introduce yourself to our radio audience. Thank you. And, and danke, Doc, in honor of your German. <laughs> uh, my name is John C. Schaefer, and as you know, because uh, I've been around town for about uh, uh, 10 years now. 10 years ago, I bought the newspaper, the Rocky Mountain News, from your Senator Patterson. Been owning it ever since. I like it out here. In fact, I bought a big branch down in Jefferson County and named it after my sons, Ken and Carol. And it's called the Ken Carroll Ranch. And I aim to stay out here for the long term. I own papers in Chicago and in Indiana. And it's just a pleasure to be out here in the beautiful weather that this, this state is known for. And, uh, and Miss Griffith, I, I appreciate your flapper dress. I checked it out before just so your audience knows. I didn't see any flaps on it. 
it's good to have your uh, your beady eyes uh, on, well, uh, on the case. I was an investigative reporter. That, that, okay. that is certainly clear. We're grateful to have all of you here on our panel. As we look back at the amazing year of 1923, we realize a great deal happened in Denver and in our great state of Colorado. In June, Denver hosted President Warren G. Harding, who spoke up prohibition just one month before his tragic death from a heart attack on the West Coast. On the economic front, after years of fighting with Pueblo and other rural communities, the State House and voters finally approved funding to begin construction of the Moffat Tunnel under the Continental Divide, opening up new opportunities for the state's economy. Denver is now hosting world-class cultural events and political leaders. We have growing economic prospects. Miss Emily Griffith, are we finally done with the old cow town image? Are we a big city now? Oh, I would say we certainly are a big city. What I have noticed in my school is the increasing number of people who need to be retrained in trades because the agricultural way of life is disappearing. Many women are discovering, for example, that housework is taking much less time with new machines making things easier, so they have more time to learn new skills. It's a fascinating situation. When we started the Opportunity School in 1916, we thought 200 people would come to classes. Ten times that many came. In fact, we are going to have to move to a new building soon because of the popularity of our classes. Many of our students are immigrants who have never had a chance to learn. I taught there's, I taught children when I was in Nebraska, and I discovered how many rural people have never had an education. That is what's changing, and that is what's going to make this a big city. More access to education for all. Well, you talk about all those new big machines. I, I'm having trouble uh, getting my wife to approve all these great big machines with all, all these great big uh, radio equipment here in my house. Uh, I hope she doesn't mind even more machines coming We were in. the first to have an automotive repair stop. That is very impressive. Uh, Representative Big Ed Johnson, when you look back at 1923, what's the most important event in your eyes? Well, by far, it's the commencement of the construction of, of the Moffat Tunnel. It is America's greatest undertaking since the Panama Canal. You know, in northwestern Colorado, we are rich in coal and in farms, yet the region's in an economic coma because of lack of transportation. And when the Moffat Tunnel is completed, the barriers will be drilled away, and the queen city of the plains, with all her markets, will be at Moffat County's door. A, uh, a prime time for Moffat County, indeed. Uh, Miss Lucille Berkeley Buchanan. What what do you think about the growth in Denver, in Colorado, this entire year of 1923? Well, Doc Reynolds, all I can say is not all in Denver or in Colorado are reaping the rewards of this economic boom. I had to leave the state to find employment as a teacher, and I have a friend who was, is also has a teaching certificate, and she's working as a cafeteria worker. In fact, most colored people in Denver are working either in manual or menial service jobs. And so as long as this scandalous state of affairs continues, I don't think it really matters whether you call Denver a cow town or an urban metropolis. Indeed. John Schaefer, the Moffat Tunnel seems like something that would truly open up the economy for the entire state. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you what. The uh, Moffat Tunnel could have been one of three tunnels if the legislature had been able to get Pueblo to work with us. But they didn't. I didn't have the pleasure of knowing David Moffat. He died two years before I got here to town. But the business community picked up the, the baton, and they ran it, and they ran it, 
and it wasn't until Pueblo was practically wiped out by the Arkansas Fountain Creek flood last year that they needed state help. And we finally got the Southern Colorado, the Steel Boys down there, right? And the, you know, the, the industrial heart of this state, and I agree with that, to come on board with our train through the mountains. But there could have been three, uh, Monarch, and I think they were talking about Levita Pass. Uh, you could have been three tunnels, three transcontinental lines going through the Rocky Mountains. Just think about that. But what I don't like about it is the fact that we have saddled every homeowner in Denver County and in all the counties, Jefferson and Grand and going all the way up through uh, Boulder and all the way to Moffat County with 60 years of property taxes, families paying property taxes for corporate welfare for a railroad. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll rue the day when we start opening the public coffers to private corporations. That's one of the reasons the legislature didn't let us build it couple of years back. Last May, to, in a surprise to many, Benjamin Franklin Stapleton became the new mayor of Denver with the help of banker and kingmaker Gerald Hughes, an endorsement from the Ku Klux Klan, and ranked balloting. Neither incumbent mayor Dewey Bailey or Republican challenger former Governor George A. Carlson received 50% of the vote, so the second and third choice ballots were counted. On the third round, Stapleton emerged as the winner. Now, just months into his duties, Mayor Stapleton is under threat of a recall vote being led by lawyer Philip Hornbein, who campaigned for Stapleton with support from the Eastern, Jew Eastern European Jewish community on West Colfax. Representative Johnson, we'll start with you. Many thought the incumbent would have the advantage seeking re-election. Were you surprised at Stapleton's win? No, not at all. The Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News were against him very strongly, and I think the voters were too. They were tired of uh, Mayor Bailey's slush fund, uh, the corruption, the, the bunco games that he tolerated, and Stapleton ran on a very strong platform. He said he was going to cut taxes, reduce unnecessary expenditures, and, and superfluous employees at City Hall, and with his record of six years as postmaster for Colorado, people understood he was a very competent uh, manager for those kinds of things. And he did a good job of defusing the Klan issue when he issued a statement shortly before the election criticizing secret societies and groups going around wearing masks, and he said, any attempt to stir up ra racial prejudices or religious intolerance is contrary to our Constitution and is therefore un-American. You know, in, in my own district on the West Slope, there are there are Klan people in both the Democratic and the Republican parties, and there there's a chance my opponent in the next election might be a Klansman or Klan-backed. But my view, why why I got into politics, was to help the economic development of, of Colorado and the whole West. So the Klan can talk about their issues like banning movies on Sundays, and I'm going to concentrate on bread and butter things, helping the farmers and the miners. Well, Ms. Buchanan, how much hold do you think the Klan has on our new mayor? Well, Doc Reynolds, you know, race prejudice isn't new to Benjamin Stapleton. It's not new to Denver, and it's not new to Colorado. You know, 10 years ago, Benjamin Stapleton presided over the persecution, he would call it a prosecution, of a local woman, Norma Frazier, who was accused of violating this state's prohibition against colored and Caucasian intermarriage. Two years ago, Ward Gash was run out of town. Uh, a year ago, Walter Chapman had his home bombed for daring to live across the color line. I tell you, if Benjamin Stapleton is elected mayor, 
Denver will rue the day it allowed its seal to be stolen by Benjamin Stapleton. Well, Mr. Schaefer, do you think this is what the creators of the ranked voting system had in mind when they established it in 1913? I think it was a, a commission government in 1913 that created this whole ranked voting uh, scheme. That's when I got here, and you could see the fault in it right away. We had, uh, so far, we elected Boss Spear with it, the, the machine boss of the Democrats. We elected probably the most corrupt mayor that we've ever had, Dewey, Dewey Bailey. And uh, and that's led to uh, to what uh, uh, my, my... Lucille. Lucille. Miss Lucille said, was the second rue that you've had now on this program. Two rues already. Maybe we'll get a third. But let me tell you this. I was stunned because... You know, I'm wild about Harry when we had our introduction. I'm not wild about Harry Tammon, one of the owners of the Denver Post, who strongly backed this Klansman Stapleton. As you know, my newspaper backed our former governor, George Carlson, who would he was a prohibitionist. He's a straight shooter. He would have been a very excellent mayor. He came in third in the first round. Then we go to the second round. He drops even farther down. Dewey Bailey came in first in the first round. That's absolutely absurd. We need to go to a system where we have a clear majority winner. To go into three rounds of voting, are you kidding me? You know, we get rid of a bunco artist, a guy who protected Lou Blonger, right? Up, right up until his trial, uh, D.A. Van Syce had to do a secret raid, not using Denver police to arrest the guy, and now he's in prison. Uh, we need to recognize that we have a, have a clear majority to elect our mayor. We need to go to a system like a runoff. Take the top two winners and then do a runoff system. And a, and a Republican running in Denver, I have to imagine, would be more competitive next time. I imagine it's always going to be competitive between Republicans and Democrats in the city of Denver. Yes. Well, Ms. Griffith, will Ben Stapleton be known as the second-choice mayor? Well, I have to return this to the KKK analogy here because Stapleton's explanation just will not fly. Benjamin Stapleton and the Ku Klux Klan are threatening not just people of color, but people of different religions. People, most of my students are immigrants, many are Roman Catholic. They are the people who are building this city. And for them to be living in fear now because of this mayor who should not be where he is today, backing people who are the most heinous of, most heinous of policies, people are working to make better lives for themselves. They should be allowed to do so. It'll be interesting to see if Mayor Stapleton can make a name for himself in the city of Denver. That remains to be seen. When President Harding visited Denver in June, he spoke to the crowd about alcohol prohibition. The nation began this experiment in 1920, but Colorado outlawed liquor in 1916. I remember in January of 1917 when we first began to assess prohibition here in Colorado. State officials were begging the federal government for help keeping Kansas bootleg whiskey out of Colorado. The nation has now experienced three dry years. Miss Buchanan, is prohibition working? Have we ended the evils of alcohol? Doc Reynolds, don't you really mean to say the so-called evils of German and Italian immigrants? I thought so. I thought so. I've no doubt that proponents of prohibition abhor drunkenness and some of its associated depravities. But we are, if we're going to be truthful, we have to admit that a distaste and a disdain for immigrants was at the root of the prohibition, of the Colorado's prohibition measure. You know, I read somewhere that by 1900, 
over two thirds of the city of Denver's saloons were owned by immigrants. And so I think anti-immigrant feeling really lays at the bottom of prohibition. And I will add that, frankly, I don't think it's working anyway. It was rejected by the voters in Denver County, and the only people who seem to be profiting from it are corrupt public officials, certain churchmen, and moonshiners. Well, speaking of moonshine, Mr. Schaefer, is the city of Denver doing enough to stop bootleggers and local moonshine operations. It feels like we can get sugar moon concoctions in almost any house you want to go to. <laughs> if you give me those addresses, we'll track them down. <laughs> For the good, I mean. I of mean, course. And we'll get of rid course. of the other depravities uh, that, uh, that uh, you want to get rid of. Of course. Uh, I'll take care of all of them. But give us those addresses. I'll get my reporters out there right away. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of the, uh, of, of the case, if not the barrel. But... No, they're not doing anything. Are you kidding me? With Dewey Bailey as mayor up until May? No, we're not doing anything. In fact, what we have now is this workaround system where, you know, forget the immigrants who don't have regular doctors, but you can go to your doctor, you can get a prescription for, this one is for a woman down on Hudson Street, uh, for uh, whiskey, medicinal whiskey. You know, if, if we go down this path, we'll end up, with having these kind of workarounds, get a prescription, get a medical card or a thing for anything that's illegal. Who knows? Some of this marijuana, some things like that. This is a slippery slope right here, Doc. Imagine a, a medical prescription for something like whiskey. I, I can't even imagine that. Miss Griffith, are the supporters of Prohibition seeing the changes they sought? No, they are not. And let me echo what Miss Lucille said. This is absolutely to villainize immigrants. If you... If you see my students who are Italian or the French or the German, they are able to deal with alcohol. They cut, they deal with it in their home countries. It's part of the, it's part of their meals. It's part of their ceremonies. They were running the the Italians and the Irish who are running saloons have lost their livelihood because of this, and it wasn't because they were the ones who were abusing liquor. We've been able to get liquor in our, in our medicines long before we could get these prescriptions. Prohibition is not working, and it is demonizing the wrong people. Well, Representative Johnson, we'll end with you. It seems that many in this community can still get much liquor, as, as much liquor as they desire, or they even make their own sugar moon, as I was talking about before. Are we really all that dry? Well, we're drier than we used to be, let's say that. The fact is the voters of this state voted for prohibition in 1914, and then they voted to make it even stronger in 1918 with the, the bone dry initiative, and, and that even passed in, in Denver during wartime when they didn't want to divert grain that was needed for our soldiers, uh, for, for whiskey drinkers. You know, it's also true that, that ever since statehood, Denver has also thought itself was above the rest of Colorado, and it doesn't have to follow the state laws on gambling or prostitution, and, and now it, it's on uh, prohibition. But I will say something where they're going too far is the Klan is now talking about wanting to ban sacramental wine for, for Jews and, and Catholics. And it, it's true, as the uh, federal director of prohibition for our region said, that there are definitely some priests and rabbis who are having 300-gallon orders for a congregation of 200 people. But I say you just deal with that on a one-at-a-time situation. You know, back in, in, my, in my district in northwest Colorado, we don't have, my, our, my Catholic friends aren't staggering out of church on a Sunday morning uh, all sloshed just because they had a sip of red wine. Indeed. 
Part of being a melting pot nation is adoption of new ideas, new foods, and sometimes new words and phrases coming into our culture. In addition to words like speakeasy, bathtub gin, and 23 skidoo, another word has captivated the country, and that word is jazz. Denver Towns is contributing to jazz in a big way. Violinist George Morrison has a club in Golden and another in the Five Points neighborhood called the Casino Cabaret. However, it is Denver native Paul Whiteman who is shaking up the jazz world. Over the past three years, Whiteman and his orchestra have been ruling the Billboard music charts with a string of number one hits, some of them that we'll be featuring in this and very broadcast. Mr. Schaefer, all these music stars in Colorado will Denver be a place for jazz for years to come. Oh, I think you're very right, Doc. You're very right on that. And not just in the five points where you have the incredible mix of cultures there with the Pullman workers who live in the area, and you have the population of Denver coming up there and enjoying themselves. Paul Whiteman, a grad, a product of Denver, his dad, music superintendent of Denver Public Schools, known worldwide, the king of jazz. How wonderful it is to have the capital of this musical movement right here in the city and county of Denver. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, Mr. Whiteman is working right now with George Gershwin in New York City to compose an American concerto for his upcoming February concert in Manhattan. I'm very anxious to hear what comes out of that. I'm also offering him the opportunity to buy a ranch just up the road from my Ken Carroll ranch, just over the line in Arapahoe County at Sheridan and right around Yale. And we'll see if he goes through with that. He wants to buy it for his mom and dad. That should be interesting to see. Miss Griffith, what will be the effect of jazz music in Denver? Well, certainly a more lively nightlife, but also an opportunity for people. Ironically, our opportunity school is quite close to the Casino Cabaret in Five Points. We see the opportunities that colored people are having now. Travelers are able to come here. And I also want to mention... It's opening doors for women, too. Women both as entertainers and women working outside the home. You know, this year, the Equal Rights Amendment was first introduced into Congress. I'm sure it'll pass quite quickly. Seemingly so. We'll need a watch. Representative Johnson, do you expect more of these jazz joints to open here in our fair city? Well, they probably, and they seem to be helping the economy, which, of course, is what I care about the most. I'd say... Thank you for giving me the honor of operating the record player, but I don't understand all that weird syncopation at all. I'd rather be listening to Barney Google or uh, uh, fiddle music. Uh, but uh, Mr. Schaefer talked about the, the marijuana controversy, and it, it's true that the jazz players and the Negroes and the, the Mexicans seem in, around the jazz scene seem to be listening to it or inhaling it, I guess, smoking it. But I don't think we need to get into more of these divisive social issues. We should focus on growing our state and not, not dividing people and stirring them up. Ms. Buchanan, what do you think? Is jazz a menace or is it the first truly American art form? Well, Doc Reynolds and fellow panelists, notwithstanding Mr. Paul Whiteman, jazz has its roots in the colored communities of New Orleans and sprang from ragtime and the blues. And it has its global roots in West African music. And I suspect that long after each one of us here has passed on to our reward, that music, jazz musicians such as Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, even Ragtime, Scott Joplin, Big Mama Thornton, and our very own George Morrison will be recognized as the true kings and queens of American jazz. It'll be quite a feat to uh, dethrone the king, Paul Whiteman, but uh, you may have a point there, Mr. Keep Cannon. Keep looking. 
Before we leave you all in Radio Land tonight, it is our tradition at our roundtable that we do every week to get a disgrace of the year and then say something nice. Miss Griffith, why don't you start with your disgrace of 1923? I'm sorry, I must take issue with you, Mr. Johnson. You are demonizing Mexicans when you talk about marijuana. It is legal. Like the hemp plant, there are many, many uses. And in Aspen, there was just a daily daily newspaper headline talking about Mexican dope rings. We do not need to demonize Mexicans or a perfectly legal plant. Representative Johnson. Well, I agree with you. It's always been legal in, in the United States and, and in Colorado, and I don't see any need to, to change that. But for the d disgrace in, in Germany, just this last November, this fascist group that calls itself the National Socialist German Workers' Party tried to stage a coup and take over the government. And their, their trial for treason is coming up in February, and I hope they put the ringleaders of that, the former German dictator Erich Ludendorff, and this other kind of crazy guy named Adolf Hitler. I hope they get long sentences. Miss Buchanan. Doc, five years ago I graduated from the University of Colorado. But I was not allowed to participate in the graduating ceremonies, nor am I even pictured in the uh, yearbook because of my color. That is quite the disgrace. Well, wait, wait. Oh. I'm not done. And now there's a Ku Klux Klucker who is running for mayor. Who will probably, who, who is mayor now? This is just a mournful, mournful disgrace. Mr. Schaefer, your disgrace of 1923. I can't disagree with that, Doc, with Ms. Lucille here. But my disgrace is an ongoing disgrace each and every year, and that's my competitor up the way, and that's Harry Tammen at the Denver Post. How long has this city put up with the corruption of Lou Blonger and all the politicians and even the school board members that the Denver Post continues to put in that rag into office? And Harry Tammen needs to be dealt with. Well, let's not end on a down note. Let's talk about, say something nice about the year 1923. Uh, Miss Griffith. Three years after Amendment 19 passed, and we finally have the right to vote, although Coloradans received it much, much earlier, women are becoming increasingly important in the workforce and also have an increased voice at home. I want to congratulate people like Miss Lucille, one of 640,000 teachers across the country. What teachers do is so important. It's what creates equality. Representative Johnson. The New York Yankees, for the first time ever, won the World Series this year. And, you know, everybody talks about Babe Ruth, the great home run hitter. But from my point of view, their best player is Wally Pipp, the first baseman. He had a 21-game hitting streak this season. I think we'll be seeing him for a long, long time as a baseball all-star. Miss Buchanan. Thank you, Miss Griffith. I really appreciate your words of your words of charity, of kindness. Thank you very much. As I speak, now this is only a rumor, but rumor has it that Hattie McDaniel, that marvelous chanteuse, is about to join the George Morrison Orchestra. What a singing career she oh, yeah. has ahead of her. Hey, Mr. Schaefer. Well, thank you. I want to tell you, I met a young man, a uh, major in the U.S. Army down there at Fort Logan. He's being shipped out soon, but he's been in Denver at, in the recruiting corps for a little bit here, and he married a local girl, Mamie Dowd, a uh, well-known local woman here. Married her about seven years ago, I think, and I was at the wedding. But we're going to hear a lot more about uh, Major Dwight D. Eisenhower. I cannot wait until D-Day when we hear all about him. 
Dwight D. Eisenhower. It does have a certain ring Remember to it. Remember that name. And I want to say something nice about the inventors of a, of a new medicine that is going to seemingly change the world. They, uh, Dr. Frederick Bunting, or Banting, rather, and his assistant, Charles Best, inventing insulin. I imagine that this is going to bring great change to the world, especially with the two folks who invented it saying that they only wanted a dollar a piece from the patent and then made it free. So it'll always be free uh, throughout its history, helping people around the world. Well, that is all the time we have for our look back at the year 1923. It was a year filled with historic moments that will surely be talked about for years to come. In fact, I can even imagine a show like this one talking about this very year, even 100 years from now. Of course, by then, they'll be doing it from a spaceship on their way to Mars. Well, until then, and for everyone here on Colorado Inside Out on KLZ Radio, we're keeping our beady eye on all of you, Colorado. I am Doc Reynolds. Thanks for tuning in to KLZ Radio, everybody. Good night.